As we approach to hear God's word, let's take a moment to quiet our hearts and pray that God might open our hearts and minds and speak to us through the prayer of illumination. So let's pray. Lord our God, one who is always speaking, we admit that we're not always listening. And that might be for a number of reasons. It might be for the chaos that's swirling around us or within us. But however we show up here today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would quiet our hearts and still our souls so that in these moments we can take a breath and we can just be here in your presence. And I pray that your Holy Spirit might open us with an attentiveness to hear you speaking your gracious word to us this morning. So speak now for your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the Lord, hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. That passage was a passage from Matthew's gospel about Jesus' baptism. And now we hear a passage from Paul's letter to the Christians in uh, Galatia as he's writing to them about what their baptismal identity and identity in God means for them. So let's listen now to this word of the Lord. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this week, we start a five-week series on baptism. And over the past couple years, when I've performed baptism, I've been struck by these, these five declarations that I've made. And I declare them not only at baptism, but at funerals as well. And... So over the next five weeks, we'll be focusing on one of those each week. And the five themes are 
One, that baptism means our entrance into the family of God. Second, forgiveness through Christ and Christ's blood. Third, the union with, with Christ and God and the journey of God bringing us from death to life. Fourth, it is the blessing and the seal of the Holy Spirit upon us. And fifth, the promise of eternal life, life unending with God. So over the next couple weeks, we'll be looking into those things. Um, but first, we'll be looking at uh, what it means to be part of the family of God. Before we dive into that and what that means for this sacrament of baptism, I want to just take time to, a moment to, to describe what a sacrament is. Sacrament, in its original language, uh, means uh, something sacred. Um, but one descriptor that I found that's actually really helpful for suggesting what a sacrament is, is uh, a word given by a guy named Calvin, uh, John Calvin, a Reformed scholar, theologian, pastor, who said that a sacrament is an outward sign by which God seals on our hearts and minds the promises of God's goodwill toward us in order to sustain the weakness of our faith. Um, put a little more succinctly, can you see that second slide up there? There's a quote from um, St. Augustine who lived in just uh, the tail end of the fourth century. He said, it's a visible sign of an invisible grace. It's a visible sign of an invisible grace. Sacraments are these tangible things that are meant to support our faith. And I always think of how teachers do a great job of using tangible, tactile things to help um, demonstrate a point or a purpose that they're trying to convey. Um, in this quote here, a visible sign of an invisible grace, what I think that means is somewhat what is communicated um, with a hug, right? A hug is a physical symbol, wrapping your arms around somebody, of um, how you might be feeling at that time, right? You would hug somebody if you want to communicate your affection for them or love for them or that you're going to miss them when they go. That's an intangible thing, an invisible thing that's communicated by wrapping your arms around someone. In such a time way, when we are baptized, we are baptized into the loving embrace of God, God who created the heavens and the earth and redeemed through his son and sustains it through the Holy Spirit. And today, as we look at this font and the practice of baptism, we'll be focusing on God welcoming us as children and part of God's family. When, um, when performing a, a baptism, I'll have the baby or in my arms or maybe a person who's come of age, and I'll say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. We are baptized with God's own name. In baptism, God gives us God's own name and welcomes us in. And if we get nothing else out of today, the, the big idea I hope that we catch is that God provides this unconditional welcome and sense of that we belong. And in return, we as the family are supposed to offer that same welcome to whomever might come into um, this church or this community. 
so that they might feel welcome and that they belong in this family as well, in this community. In, in baptism, God welcomes us without condition and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, you belong. This belief and this thing that we, I say in baptism comes out of uh, that scripture passage that we read today in Matthew, wherein Jesus is baptized and then is comes back up and all of a sudden the heavens break open and there is a voice that says, this is my son the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is my son. It's the first moment God speaks and declares that this one is his own, with whom he is delighted. And so at our baptism, when water is poured upon our head and we are marked in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God brings us in and says the same thing about us. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are are my children and welcome in my family. You belong. You belong. And as you sit with that, the fact that you belong as a child of God, I want to ask a question. What might that welcome from God, from the knowledge that we are God's children, and that sense of belonging, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for us? What does that provide you? And the question, to get a little more detailed, I'm asking is about this. Can you ever think of a time when you were not welcome in a place? Can you think of a time you weren't welcome? I can think of a time. Brings me back to middle school. <laughs> Gosh, those days. Um, and going into the, to the cafeteria, that crazy arena of... Um, social complexity. And I go up with my, with my lunch tray and I'm like, sit down at this table with a bunch of kids and nobody really spoke to me. <laughs> and I thought this was, things were going along well until the next day I came back and uh, I tried to sit down again and, and the kid kind of like moved over and like there wasn't a space any longer to sit and to be. And at that moment, subsequent lunches became a lot more anxiety ridden <laughs> and horrible. Actually, school lunches were, were quite horrible for, for middle school and high school. And, and the point I'm driving at is I didn't feel welcome at this one point. And that then dictated how I showed up in the cafeteria from that point on. I was showing up thinking about, okay, what table am I going to sit at? What, where am I going to be? And how am I going to maneuver in this situation to minimize the kind of pain that I felt at that moment and that sense that I didn't belong? kind of this really horrible space. But let me ask you another question. Can you think of a time when you showed up in a place and you did feel welcome? When you did sense that you belonged? What was that like? What did you feel? And how that dictates how you showed up subsequently? I asked the question, uh, in contrast to the other one, because when I came here to Linwood during one of my interviews, I was deeply worried that, that being here, I might find a place where I belonged. And when I came here and was interviewing, I met people who gave me a deep sense that I was okay to be myself here. And that felt wonderful. 
That was the invitation I think that we all received when we hear it in baptism. You are my son, you are my daughter. To be welcomed in and said that we belong. And when we feel that, I think rather than closing up and running with anxiety or worry or defensiveness, what happens is that we can open up and in this safe space where we feel like we belong and we're in a place where um, we're welcomed, that can mean everything for how we can then grow and begin to flourish in our lives and become who we're created to be. When we know we belong, we can be ourselves rather than close up. We can open up. And we can become more of what God has declared and created us and redeemed us to be. And I hope and wish that, that here, particularly at Winwood, that you can come to know that. That you can come to know that you're a daughter and a son of God. And that you can feel a sense of belonging and welcome. And that you can become who you were created to be. But I think that takes a little effort on our part and from each of us. Because, because in baptism, there's a mention of God saying, you're my son and daughter, you belong. But this subsequent belonging becomes with a word about, or maybe a, uh, a thing about how we need to behave as the, as the family of God and sons and daughters. So that we can contribute to this family. I want to tell you a story, and I've told this story be here before, um, but I wish to tell it again for the purposes of, of how it um, illumines this point I'm trying to make. It's a story that I heard in college from a pastor named Craig Barnes. And Craig Barnes is now the uh, president at Princeton Theological Seminary in New Jersey. And it's a story about the lessons of belonging and behaving in his family. Craig said his dad served a congregation in a really rough part of town. Um, and principally, the, the, the tough reality that gripped the neighborhood around the church was due to drug addiction. And Craig's dad, as a pastor, reached out to so many people as best that he could in those times. And one person that he reached out to in particular was a 12-year-old named Roger, who was part of the congregation and the community. Roger's parents were addicted to heroin. And although it didn't seem that Craig's dad was making a difference in the lives of those who struggled with their addiction, uh, Roger's mom had written uh, the pastor, Craig's dad's phone number on the wall by the phone in case the pastor was needed, in case anything had happened. One night, Craig said, his family's phone rang. It was 12-year-old Roger saying that both his parents had overdosed and he couldn't wake them up. The pastor jumped in the car and drove to the project. He got there about the same time as the police did and Roger had to watch as the coroner zipped up the bags of his parents to take them away. There wasn't any family there to care, care for Roger. And the police were ready to put Roger into the foster care system. But Craig's dad, the 
pastor convinced the police to, to let him take Roger home, at least for a night. And somewhere on that drive home, from that place to the home, uh, Craig's dad decided to adopt Roger. Those were the days before cell phones, and uh, later, uh, Craig was wondering how his mom actually found out about that decision. But when Craig's dad and Roger got home that evening, Craig and his uh, brother were awoken and introduced to Roger. And Craig's dad, pastor, said, this is Roger, who will be your brother from now on. Well, that sort of thing doesn't happen every night, now does it? But Craig said he was amazed by the declaration of his father and that now Roger was a joint heir of everything that Craig had. Roger didn't earn it, no. It was just that graciousness and unconditional acceptance and welcome and belonging from the dad. Now, Roger grew up without structure. And so it took a while for Roger to become acclimated to the ways of the new household. And Craig says that he can remember time and time again, whether at the table or after saying a few bad words, uh, Craig's mom would say, no, 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 Roger, we don't, we don't do that here. This is what we do. So redirecting behavior to healthier patterns according to what the family designed was good and healthy for that home. And there was this transformation that, that happened. And it's a, ha it's a transformation that happens when we commune as a family in our identity. Roger learned and was changed by this, by this family. And he learned what adoption meant into that family. Now, Roger was just old enough, older than, than Craig, um, when he was caught up and drafted in the Vietnam War. And uh, Roger really wanted to do something to make his mom and dad proud. And so, like so many, he entered in and volunteered in Vietnam and was sent to the front lines. One day, Roger lost his life in a heroic act of sacrifice that saved the lives of many of his buddies. And it was a severely dark day in the Barnes' home when that telegram arrived. Craig most remembers his mother's tears. But one day she stopped crying long enough to look at Craig and ask, do you think any of those crazy table lessons had anything to do with Roger changing from someone who was frightened and lost into someone who was a hero? It's an incredible question. And I think as much as anything, it was this loving environment where there was no question that Roger belonged, in which he could grow and flourish and become not the lost and timid one, but the hero who laid down his life for many. There's different characters in this story, but what I think is beautiful about this story is the pastor, the father in this who imitates God, our Father, really well in the way that he unconditionally welcomes Roger in and says, you belong, and provides us loving and free space. The mother does that as well in this story. And 
on my mind is thinking how we as God's family need to be like the mother and father in this story. Imitating this unconditional welcome and invitation and declaration that you belong to anyone who walks through these doors. And yet, there might be some dissonance as to where we're at with that. And maybe we need to look deep within to see if we actually do that and we do offer an invitation to those who don't already feel as if they can be a part of the family of God. I'm wondering who's on your mind right now? Who might not feel as though they could step through these doors at a church? Who might not feel as though they belong here? in God's family? Or who might not feel as though they fit in society because they're a little bit different? It's an important question to ask. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about people who were released from prison and they're trying to find their way in society. And they're having a tough go at it because they're not finding welcome. I think about kids at the lunch table and I'm so glad that we have a youth group where, you know, there is a sense of welcome and belonging and that we do image the welcome and belonging. One other group that I'm deeply mindful of and concerned about are people who identify within the LGBT community. People who have long seen and heard messages from the church that they don't belong. which is heartbreaking. Because as created people, as people created in God's image, I think there's, there's this, again, unconditional welcome and declaration that you belong to each person who would walk through these doors. But would we image that father in the story? Would we image God, our father, who says, welcome, you belong? That's a question I hope you ponder as you go throughout the day and the weeks to come. And, but I also, I also want to say this in the end. If we don't create this space of belonging, this loving environment where people can come and belong and be themselves, then I think we miss out on something very important. We miss out on the opportunity to witness the transformation of people because they feel safe in a place and they can grow according to God's plan and design. And we miss out on perhaps our own invitation from God to grow into uh, our identity as God's children. And so I think what I'm hoping is that we think deeply here now, but also when whatever we do in this church, in our team meetings, at consistory, at youth group, about how we are unconditionally accepting each other and welcoming each other in and mindful about what each other might be experiencing and going the extra length to acknowledge the fact that each of us is made in the image of God and each of us is a son or daughter of God made to belong. 
And so maybe it takes an extra effort this morning as we go out these uh, walls into the fellowship center. Maybe it's that first place that we start to welcome one another, to go up to somebody who we haven't talked to before and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. I haven't talked to you before, but I want to get to know you now. I think if we begin to, to build those inlets within our own community, we might be more hospitable when um, guests come in. All for the purpose of not just hearing for ourselves that we are sons and daughters of God, but also speaking that to so many others. Let's pray. God, you are good to us, saying that we are your own, calling us as our own, as your own, through baptism and through your son's baptism. And I pray this morning that uh, wherever we are on the journey of faith, that we would continue to, to seek after you and grow more and more into the likeness of your son and embody that type of love and witness in this community. We pray this in Jesus' name.